Hi, I'm Brent Stafford, and this is RegWatch by RegulatorWatch.com. At any moment, the Trump administration is expected to announce new policy intended to clear the market of flavored nicotine vaping products in an effort to stem the so-called epidemic in youth vaping. Many observers say the Trump ban could have a devastating impact on adult access and choice of flavored vaping products, products which they insist have proven essential in helping millions of smokers to quit. What are the 20 things you should know about the U.S. flavor ban? Well, Clive Bates, international tobacco control expert, is here to join us. Clive, thanks a lot for coming back on RegWatch. Hi, Brent. It's a pleasure, always. Oh, and for us too as well. Um, for some of our viewers who may not be familiar with who you are, let's take a moment and fill them in. Okay, so I first got interested in this issue in 1997. Uh, when I started as the Director of Action on Smoking and Health in the United Kingdom, um, which is the main like anti-smoking, anti-tobacco organization in the UK. Um, since then, I've been a, a, a senior civil servant and I've run my own consultancy, but I have never, ever stopped thinking from the very beginning that we should be able to make a lot of progress in this area using the concept known as harm reduction, which is substituting much lower risk products for high risk products. And that goes right back to the late 90s when we were having battles over smokeless tobacco and snus. Yeah, so you're, so basically you come from the land of where there's actual rational thinking going on with regard <laughs> to. I, I'm pretty proud to be honest of the way uh, the UK, especially England is, is handling this. Um, they, are, they are taking the perspective that you should take on this which is how do you do as much as you possibly can to reduce as much harm as you possibly can? And that, to be honest, means uh, doing everything you can to persuade adults to stop smoking in a way that they find acceptable. And the great kind of miracle with vaping and uh, you know other non-combustible tobacco products is that that is a way to get them to stop smoking in a way that they find acceptable and even pleasurable in some cases. So it's a really good strategy. It, it works by going with the grain of what people want uh, and without beating them with big sticks like taxation or regulation or stigmatizing them, marginalizing them or whatever. Um, and it works without a particularly large amount of public sector involvement. It's a, a transaction that goes on between willing consumers and willing producers, and it has a happy result. Um, you know, people stop smoking uh, on their own initiative and at their own expense uh, to improve their own health. You know, what's not to like? It should be a universally popular idea. And it, it, it's hard for a lot of us who share that thinking with you, but are from North America, which is supposed to be a lot more land of the free, to watch <laughs> our own government have such a heavy hand here. I mean, can you think of anything else? And I don't think alcohol is really a good example from prohibition in the 20s because it's demonstrated and always has been that alcohol kills. I mean, it, it certainly does. And it has, you know, demonstrated harms for the people that are around somebody who uses alcohol. But that's never been the case with vaping. Uh, so here we have the only example of a product that I can think of ever that's possibly going to get yanked off the market for some political reasons, essentially for the precautionary principle? Um, 
Yeah, I, I, I think it's hard to find any parallels to this. Uh, it, it's easy to find zealous overregulation, um, but over overregulation and uh, prohibition of things that actually look as though they're working in the public interest, that is particularly hard to find. Um, and, you know, I, I hate the... Uh, application or, or the attribution of the precautionary principle, uh, Brent, I'm afraid, because I think it dignifies something. Uh, it sounds like a sort of credible idea. We, we should apply the precautionary principle because it's responsible and sensible. That's not what they're doing here. The, the language of the precautionary principle is a cover here because you're do, they're doing something that is in theory, you know, precautionary, but mm -hmm. actually creates a lot of harm. You know, the, the danger is you, you take this precautionary risk averse action and you just end up with more smoking. Um, you end up with people who are more unhappy and more likely to smoke. So, you know, there isn't there isn't a situation where you can just say, well, we're doing this to be careful, but there are no downsides in being careful, in being cautious, in being risk averse. They, they are going to increase the risks and the risks are many fold. You know, some people will go back to smoking. Other people will access black markets. And we've already seen with the THC vaping thing. And I saw your interview with Mike Siegel. You know, we, we've already seen, you know, that black markets themselves create risks, you know, adulterated supply chain. We'll see um, people mixing their own, and there are some very capable mixers. Don't get me wrong; a lot of vapors know what they're doing. But also, it's going to be amateur night out there. You know, people will be buying stuff from the shelves in supermarkets, mixing it up in their sink, and then vaping it. Who knows whether they're going to get those recipes right or what? Um, we'll also see. Um, you know, one of the problems with black markets is that they are completely indiscriminate about age and they're also about what they sell you. So some some dodgy guy who's selling you black market vapes will also sell you black market THC vapes to black market meth vapes. Uh, they'll sell you opioids. They'll sell you meth. They'll sell you crack. They'll sell you anything. So, you know, you're, you're suddenly exposing young people to a whole different supply chain, and that supply chain has a lot of bad stuff in it. So, trying to that. dignify this as precautionary is just, you know, it's completely wrong. It's really, really risky. Sorry, and I, I walked all over the end of your soundbite there, and I do apologize for that. Maybe right. just reiterate that last point for us, just the precautionary principle. Look, to, to call this precautionary, is to dignify it. In, in, in fact, what they're doing is opening up a whole series of other risks, which are in fact worse risks than vaping, which are to do with the black market, they're to do with going back to smoking, they're to do with alternative risk behaviors, they're to do with all the accommodations that happen when you prohibit something and the supply chain readjusts around the prohibition. It is not a sensible thing to do, even within its own internal logic. So uh, let's borrow, because uh, opponents to vaping, you know, hang their hat on Jean-Jacques Rousseau. And uh, I mean, yeah, I'll get too much farther into that, but yeah. dig, dig deep into Rousseauian logic and you'll find the progressive anti-vapor staring right back at you. Um, but Rousseau, in the opening of one of his discourses, he said, all right, gentlemen, let's uh, first set facts aside 
and now let's have a conversation. And that seems to be exactly what everybody on the anti-vaping side seems to do. Uh, when they approach this issue, the first thing they do is they set the facts aside. Look, I mean, it, it, I mean, for me, you know, I've worked in public health for a long time. This has been an incredibly disparaging and, frankly, eye-opening experience. So if you're an organization, uh, you know, like the American Lung Association Campaign for Tobacco-Free Kids, you're the Surgeon General, you come to this debate with an enormous endowment of trust. So people, people listen to you because of who you are. Okay, they'll, they'll say it's the Surgeon General, that's American Lung, that's Cancer Heart. Um, we will listen to them because, the, because they are the people that are the foundations of public health in our country. Um, the trouble is, those people um, no longer deserve that trust. They, ha they have been um, pursuing an ideological approach to this, and they have become completely unmoored from the, the facts they are saying the most extreme and absurd things. And, you know, they're, they're implying that smoking and vaping are just as dangerous. They're making up um, evidence that says that there are gateway effects, that the, you know, kids' brains are going to be fried by nicotine and all that. None of this has any bearing on the actual truth. These are propaganda lines. And I think the trouble is, if, if, you're, if you come with a big endowment of trust, you have staff and you have financial resources, you have an ideological direction that you're trying to take, and you are prepared to lie or at least be negligent with the truth, then frankly, you can get a lot done. And there's, there's not much that the rest of us can do about it. If that's the way you want to play the game, frankly, you're going to win. The question is, why do you want to play the game like that? Why, why do you see this as a worthwhile thing to achieve? Because it isn't a worthwhile thing to achieve. And I, I, I think they have completely overstepped the mark. They have become reckless in the way that they are dealing with the truth. And I mean, I review, I do a little for a group of friends, a sort of a review of all the science that comes out every week. And I tell you, it's getting worse and worse. They are taking bigger and bigger liberties with the truth. The PR machine is working on overdrive. The more they do it, the more confident they are about kind of making outrageous claims. And that, I'm afraid, is what's behind some of what we're seeing in the United States. And of course, it flows like contagion all around the world. So it's not even isolated to the States. So I, I've just got a, I've got some video up here right now from a little movie here playing of some of the CDC alerts and notices right off of the bat. I think you can see that too. And here, the severe pulmonary disease associated with using e-cigarette products. Um, so right from the very beginning, the CDC, um, well, I mean, they, I mean, the CDC was less than clear, I think is the only oh. nice way you could put it. How would you put it? I, well, I would not be as nice as that. Uh, that's for sure. I mean, look, the, the, to anybody who understands this kind of field, the, 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 roots, the roots of this problem have been obvious really from the first week. And that goes right back to July. Okay. The, it, there has been some doubt about exactly 
what agents in the in these vapes what what chemicals what adulterations have been causing what harms that is that is true so it has been impossible to explain everything from the word go but what has been clear is that the vaping related uh, lung injury problem has been due to uh, black contaminated adulterated black market sorry, cannabinoid or other drugs supply chain. Okay, it is nothing whatever to do with the commercially available vapes that you buy at a vape shop or in a convenience store or gas station. It is nothing to do with that. And CDC, frankly, if they've been playing a straight bat, they could have ruled that out really early on. And if there had been a single incident that had been tied to something like a Juul or an Enjoy or one of the main sort of vaping brands, you can you can bet it would have been all over the media. We'd have heard nothing else about it. So what, what there was was a very, very obvious connection with um, adulterated THC vapes um, supplied through the black market on the street. Um, but CDC managed to keep doubt, fear and confusion alive by saying we don't really know what's causing it and advising people not to use any vape, using them as an alternative to smoking. To me, that was absolutely despicable, reprehensible, unethical. Hopefully one day it'll be found illegal. And to be honest, the people responsible for it need to be held to account because in my view, people will have died as a result of that. Two reasons. First of all, because they weren't specific uh, about the THC risk and the adulterated THC black market supply chain. And secondly, because they will have encouraged people to stop vaping and go back to smoking, both of which have lethal consequences. And somebody at C CDC, somebody at FDA, to a slightly lesser extent, needs to be held accountable for that because that is actual harm. That is an actual tort. And they did it deliberately. I am willing to say that they did it deliberately because they wanted to keep confusion and fear alive about vaping in general. So this was the pretext that they had been searching for to basically go for the jugular on, on nicotine vaping. Yeah, totally. And it's worked. You know, they, they have created um, confusion across the United States, uh, now worldwide, uh, people are people are confused. They 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 think that you know vaping causes these lung injuries, um, but if you just buy a normal nicotine vape uh, from a vape shop or a convenience store, there is literally no chance of this. And the idea that uh, that you would have you would have seen, you know, th this 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 outbreak was confined to the United States uh, to a specific time. And yet around the world, you've got about 50 million people over the last 10 years using commercial nicotine vapes. OK, so, you know, by definition, that there was something specific uh, about this outbreak that was confined to the United States and was something to do with what's happening now. OK, uh, otherwise, we'd have seen it elsewhere and we'd have seen it before. Uh, and that alone should have allowed you to rule out uh, that general normal commercial vaping was a cause of this. The idea that there would be two separate, completely independent causes happening at once, um, 
you know, something going on in the THC black market supply chain and something also going on in the commercial, um, you know, legal, legitimate FDA uh, regulated supply chain is completely absurd. That kind of coincidence just never happens. So the problem was that CDC and FDA never did what they should have done, which was rule out as a cause general nicotine vaping and given reassurance to people who were using vaping as an alternative to smoking uh, that they should continue, which is exactly what Public Health England have done. Their advice has been to carry on vaping if you're vaping as an alternative to smoking and then focus their risk communication on the THC vapes which are the actual problem and are the actual risk. And in generalizing the, generalizing the risk to everybody, they've harmed both groups. They've made it more likely that ordinary vapors will smoke and they've made it less likely that people using THC will avoid the black market. When you're captured by ideology, when, you're the, when you are the administrative state and you're captured by ideology, the decisions you make are going to be horrible. There's, there's just no doubt in that. Because, yeah. yeah, if they do what they're planning on doing, as you said, with nicotine, it's going to create a black market. Uh, it's mm. unbelievable, which then just pushes people right into the same sources where the tainted THC cartridges are coming from. On, uh, on August 23rd, when yeah. the story broke nationally, we actually brought uh, Dr. Uh, Ricardo Plosa on uh, to address it. And just he was just so shocked by, you know, what was happening, considering mm. the fact he's, you know who he is, he's one of the top or if not yeah. the top worldwide researcher on, on lung illnesses when it comes to respiratory problems and these issues. And I mean, when I wrote that lead, I was just like, even then, I'm like, for what should only be a tainted product scandal? I mean, this is just a tainted product issue. And, mm. and still to this day, they're not treating it as a tainted product issue. And on September 6th, there was already established reports out detailing exactly what could be the, the um, adulterants that were causing these. I mean, for goodness sakes, um, San Francisco Chronicle on, uh, on August 21st, 20th, 20th, 21st, San Francisco Chronicle came out with a story uh, that didn't mention nicotine at all. It was 21 cases of mysterious lung disease connected to THC uh, pop-up mm. markets in California. And so, I mean, the, the information was there. It was out there for CDC to take six, 10, whatever weeks they've taken. And they're still recommending that you don't use an e-cigarette. Yeah. Now, okay, so let's, let's, we can spend some more time back on, there's a, so many interesting things that I can geek out on there because they're important. Um, but let's now jump to the immediate uh, ramifications. What's happening right now, of course, is that the Trump administration, mm -hmm. any minute, is about to announce their policy, which up until just, you know, a couple hours ago, was expected to close, shut down, clear the market of 14,000 retail shops, 150,000 jobs, all of the e-local mm. manufacturers, all of it. And, I mean, what's been your thinking on that? I mean, it's unbelievable in so many ways. Um, I mean, you, you, I mean, you've got 
roughly speaking, you know, numbers vary, but 12 to 14 million adult vapors, about half of them are exclusive vapors. That's a very large population, um, you know, relative to smoking. I mean, it's about 34 million smokers. So it's, you know, it's a significant number of people who are doing something involving vaping that is uh, either modifying their smoking behavior or has ended their smoking behavior. Um, whether it's causal or not, we can have an argument about that, but it's definitely having an effect and it's in the mix of what they're doing. Now, said no one ever, why don't we just pull the rug out from under them and see what happens? You know, what on earth are they thinking of? Why, why don't we snatch these vapes out of their mouths and see what they do next? Um, you know, it's an absolutely crazy, reckless, irresponsible thing to do. OK, now, I sort of understand why they're doing it, because partly because of the hysteria that we've just been talking about around the THC vapes, which is irrelevant to this. It's completely irrelevant, complete side issue, but it's, you know, blended into the mix of hysteria. The other thing that's been going on and the second justification for this um, uh, action that the Trump administration is taking is the rise in youth vaping. And we've just got the 2019 numbers in uh, and it's gone up to 27.5% uh, of high school students are vaping. And that on the face of it is alarming. But that's um, uh, the measure, though, on that. I want to make sure we the measure is a 30 day measure. Exactly. So if you, um, you know, if you segment that and say, well, what should we be concerned about? We should be concerned about uh, people who vape frequently. Um, and even with them, we should take note of whether they would otherwise be smoking tobacco users. And when you do that, you basically deflate the problem. Most, most of the people who are vaping are not vaping frequently. And those that who are vaping, and I've set out all the numbers in my post, uh, those who are vaping frequently are also other tobacco users and most likely to be smokers. So for them, vaping frequently doesn't matter. As long as they're doing it as an alternative or potential future alternative to smoking, it's beneficial. So my, my call, and of course this, is, this has fallen on deaf ears everywhere, is that you can't just look at these headline numbers, uh, like you know, 20.8% in 2018, 27.5% in 2019. You need to drill down, get under the bonnet, and see what's really going on in terms of frequency within the 30 days and who is and who isn't a, a prior tobacco user. Because only then do you get a feel for what this is actually doing. And it turns out that among the... Um, frequent users at only a tiny proportion of people who've never used tobacco before less than 10 percent of the people who are frequency frequent users are never tobacco users so i'm not saying you shouldn't worry about it but at the headline you should have a more nuanced view of it and you should understand what's going on under the covers and if you did that you would be much less worried about this then the second part of the argument is it basis in the context of all the other risks that are afflicting young people. I mean, vape, vaping, I'm sorry, Scott Gottlieb, I'm sorry, Mitch Zeller, I'm sorry, President Trump, but just vaping just isn't that harmful. You know, when you when you compare it to 
the kids that are, you know, using opioids, using meth, using cannabis, um, abusing alcohol, texting while they're driving, drinking while they're driving, getting pregnant as teenagers, um, carrying weapons, experiencing violence, being in gangs, suffering mental health problems, um, suicide ideation, suicide attempts and attempt, you know, so on. You know, you can see there are many bigger issues in young people's lives than vaping. And for some reason, the whole of the United States and North America seems to have gone crazy on one particular dimension of young people's lives, when, frankly, there is so much more going on and so much more worrying uh, to get engaged in if you really cared about young people, if you really cared about young people. And I'm afraid I don't think they do. I think uh, the people who are pushing this agenda uh, treat young people as almost like child soldiers. They're, they're people who can help them with their broader campaign. Right. I don't well, think it, they really it, it, It's Sparta. Remember, they're, they're trying to create Sparta. I don't, it's just, yeah. you know, they, it, we, it's, they, look, when you're, when you live in a world where a huge mass chunk of the people believe that experts are, are the ones that should rule the world and only they should make the decisions, this is the kind of stuff that can happen. Rome is burning. You know, you've got California can't keep its lights on. Yeah. The, the state is literally burning to the ground. Uh, they've got the infrastructure is made for 20 million people. There's 40 million that live there. You've got, I mean, they're decriminalizing theft and assault and all of this other kinds of stuff. So while Rome is burning, <laughs> right, they're off fiddling around with, you know, vaping and e-cigarettes. I but think that friend, I, I, I agree with you. I, I'm, and I think I don't think these things are unconnected because I, I, I feel that a lot, a lot of the politicians who are engaged in this basically feel powerless to do much about the things that really matter. So if you're in Congress and you want to do something about healthcare, you're, you're basically disempowered. There's very little you can do. Um, but you can do something about this. So it's a, it's a sort of free ride for virtue signaling, displaying your potency as a politician. You know, you can get up and do something and be seen to be, you know, strong and standing up for the kids. Whereas you can't really do anything about bringing jobs back to Pittsburgh. You can't really do anything about healthcare reform. Uh, you, you know, you, you can't, um, you, you know, you can't deal with many of the environmental problems that people are facing. You can't even make the water run clean in Flint, Michigan. You know, you, you can't do the most basic things. So here you've got something you can do something about. So everybody's rushing in. And showing, yes, look at me. I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a potent politician, uh, and it's, it's quite disgusting to watch because, I think they're just ignoring, and I think we should come back to the sort of Trump politics in this. They're just ignoring, the large adult kind of, not particularly well off, not particularly, you know, they don't have a particularly strong voice. They're uh, just sort of ordinary people going about their ordinary business, and they are just dumping on them big time. And, you know, one of, one of the things I think is interesting about Trump and the Trump team is people sometimes credit him as being, you know, a kind of savant when it comes to understanding his base and having the right sort of political instincts that he just magically connects with, you know, coal miners or auto workers or 
you know, uh, the, the MAGA crowd or whatever, whatever you think about Trump, he does seem to have had some sort of connection uh, with that base. But this, uh, he just seems to, and his team seem to have got totally, totally wrong. Um, I don't think they understand the strength of feeling about uh, vaping. I don't think they understand the demographic who is interested in vaping and values it so highly. And I don't think they understand that it is a swing vote issue. It's not just, um, you know, oh, well, you know, I like vaping, but yeah, whatever, I'll vote for, I'll vote for Trump. It's something that has a kind of existential quality to people. They feel it's changed their lives. They're very proud of what they've achieved and they feel it's made their lives very, and they don't want some remote kind of distant bureaucracy in Washington to take it away from them. It's exactly what Trump promised he would never do, and he's now out there doing it. So who knows? I mean, I don't know. I'm amazed that the White House has been so, and Trump's team have been so naive about this. Well, not just naive, but a bit obstinate too. Yeah, it seems that way. It's yeah. like, uh, you know, prove, prove to me that people in Trump's base do actually care about this. Well, you know, if you if you think you're going to get a load of votes from soccer moms, you know, on the back of this, I'm afraid of, you know, the Trump campaign is very much mistaken. I mean, I'm, I'm a great fan of, I don't know if you remember this, Brent, but it's a great book by, um, uh, I think it was a sort of Democrat pollster called Mark Penn. Mm, yes. Um, wrote a book called Microtrends. Um, and basically, he said the, the big the big trend in society is lots of small trends. And the, the trick for top level politicians is to identify these and basically ride those waves. And he, he described a micro trend as, uh, you know, anything that was an important interest for more than one percent of the population. Now, vaping is an important interest for between five and six percent of the population. So it very strongly, you know, conforms to the definition of micro trend heading to macro trend. Uh, and if you're ignoring that size of trend and that size of demographic, then frankly, your presidential, your senatorial, your, uh, you know, congressional campaign is going to come a cropper because you're not doing the work that proper politicians should do, which is understanding what matters to the people who are in your electorate. And if you don't care about them, then don't expect them to care about you. The sad thing here is that we've reached the point in North America and specifically in the United States where uh, the removal of personal individual liberty for millions of people for something that they believe is saving their life, that seems to be not even be an argument. I mean, where is the, per the liberty argument? And let me bring this up here because I think it's really important that we're going to jump to some of the developments here on, Tr on the Trump issue today. We're staying on Trump. Uh, it, the thing is here is that public health for three decades has been badgering, harping, propagandizing, uh, turning our kids against us to force us to quit smoking. They had to mm. ban us from indoors. They had to push us outside. They had to put us out in the snow just over and over and over again, right? I mean, I just quit four years ago smoking. Mm -hmm. and, and I mean, so it, it is just like we did what you have been telling us. And, and not just nicely, yeah. not in a polite way. You, we've yeah. done what you have put a gun to our head and told us to do. 
You know, it happened to be in a different way. And part of that way was still enjoying nicotine recreationally, which as yeah. an adult, that it should be something that should be a part of this conversation um, is the enjoyment of nicotine recreationally. For me, yeah, I quit smoking, but I'm more happy than I'm vaping. Do I care that I'm addicted yeah. to vaping? No, not at all. And then there's a culture that goes around it. In Canada, when they first started really clamping down a lot locally, was they were they were forcing all the vape shops to take all of the sofas and lounge areas out mm -hmm. of the vape shops. Why were they doing that? That's because they were attacking the culture. It's a culture <laughs> war. It, it's, it's amazing. I mean, to be honest, Brent, your story is very typical of many that I hear. If you're in public health, those stories should be gold. You know, you should be like waking up every day thinking, oh man, that is what I go to work for. You know, I want to hear those stories. That is, that is an elegant technological solution to one of the worst problems we've been wrestling with in public health for decades, okay? The people like it, they're funding it themselves, they're taking their own initiative, they're happy, they, their lives feel better, their health is definitely better, their media well-being is better, they don't feel stigmatized. You know, you should, that should be the public health win. And to me, it is. I mean, I, and I, every time I hear a vapor story, I just think that is, that is fantastic. That, that is what, you know, this is all about. Um, but for some reason, the people who are involved in this, uh, and it's a relatively small number of people in the leadership, incidentally, I think if, you know, maybe, um, Half a dozen. Everyone else is mainly a follower, and they would follow. Um, so the problem population is a relatively small population of people who have grown up in tobacco wars. They've grown up fighting the industry, fighting smoking, fighting smokers. Uh, ever more coercive regulation, more taxes, more bans, more stigma, um, more warnings, more goriness. Blah blah blah. That's what their toolkit is, and that's what they know. Um, and then something has come along, just not in their playbook. Uh, this is something that is done by all the things that they despise. So it's, it's, a, it's an empowered consumer interacting with a business in a relatively lightly regulated market. You know, <laughs> that, is not, that is not how they do business. Uh, and that's why they don't like it. It's countercultural. So they have retaliated with a barrage of disinformation and, uh, you know, kind of regulatory overkill that they hope will suppress this. And effectively, they're prohibitionists. They, they are trying to use, you know, regulation, taxation and disinformation to kill these products off. And to be honest, they're doing pretty well. Yeah. So I, I, I like that, you know, no matter how much uh, uh, regulation, taxation, and disinformation, I mean, that's, that's you know, I can always count on you for <laughs> the, the perfect three words uh, to, uh, sorry, that's, uh, it's my dentist letting me know that I have my uh, follow-up root canal appointment for tomorrow. I would right. rather have three root canals all in a row than to have to mm. sit and listen to the CDC talk one more minute about vaping. Oh. But on that note, 
Let's go to <laughs> Kellyanne Conway. She's, uh, oh. for those who don't know, she's a uh, senior advisor to President Trump. Uh, earlier today, this morning, there were some uh, scuttle rumors out that maybe the Trump administration was going to ease off a bit on this ban. So instead of it, now, what's really hard for people to understand is, is they get a little get confused on this, and that's purposeful on CDC's part and everything else. So when you ban flavors, well, we're going to ban flavors. Well, what does that mean? It's like a flavor. Okay, well, mm -hmm. oh, we're going to ban flavors, but, but wait a minute, but not tobacco. And sometimes they'll say tobacco, not tobacco, or they will say tobacco. Either way, it's implied that the tobacco flavors are not actually a flavor because they, yeah. th they think of it as a cigarette. And of course, a cigarette just has a natural flavor and it's only the menthol cigarettes mm. or mint cigarettes, whatever. So, I mean, it's totally disingenuous right from that point because it's not a cigarette. Uh, a vape does not have a natural tobacco flavor because the nature of it. So tobacco, you have to make it tobacco. So when they say we're banning all flavors and then it's implied not tobacco that's crazy yeah. so and then the next move forward because they want to take away vaping from everybody period um is that then they they moved it to well also mint and menthol's bad and then of course they went out specifically to get that kind of data and whenever the cdc goes out to specifically get data they always get back what they want and they did get back what they want and that was mm -hmm. teens really really love mint 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 menthol and that was what had hit yesterday which had been out for the last couple of weeks because it was leaked and then sure enough you know that fda and omb and in the white house that's been driving it and only further complicating the matters for the president and his advisors who are trying to inject some sense of common sense which as you've said should be natural for their constituency so hmm. now kellyanne conway she's come out today and dove into this issue on whether or not potentially vape shops might be um excluded from this oh. huge flavor ban. But would that mean, though, that the vape shops uh, in the exclusion, that would just mean, well, they'll be able to sell mint menthol and tobacco. Well, you know, so which will mm. still kill everything. So let's just go over here um, and have a listen. And this is from C-SPAN. And let me just make sure we're good to go. And um, I'm going to turn our mics off uh, here for this uh Remember that egg, you cannot put the toothpaste back in the tube. With his team, and he will, he or the HHS will make it. Actually, Clive, our uh, our mics are going to be hot. That's how this audio is getting through. All right, everybody. So I'm going to restart this uh, video. Scramble that egg. You cannot put the toothpaste back in the tube. Can you, uh, can you say Let me get the here. President has made a decision on I'll get back to the timeline. That you'll make so I think we should all stop using vaping and e-cigarettes interchangeably. They are different. E-cigarettes are exactly that. They're cigarettes. They are. Um, under the Tobacco Control Act. So HHS has and FDA have jurisdiction uh, over cigarettes and e-cigarettes under the Tobacco Control Act. They do not have jurisdiction over vaping in vape shops, for example. So if we're talking about e-cigarettes, uh, the president, yes, he's been uh, discussing this with his team and he will, he or the HHS will make, a, will make an announcement soon. I think nothing has changed. In fact, what got worse 
is the JAMA data came out yesterday. You can go look at it for yourself. It's very alarming. And the way I read the JAMA data is we have now 5 million kids who have admitted, who are self-reported to be using e-cigarettes, excuse me, e-cigarettes. And this is a burgeoning health crisis. The difference is between kids and adults. And I think the JAMA data also made clear that kids report they use mint and other flavors like mango, bubblegum, tutti frutti, unicorn milk, pretty remarkable. Uh, and that they don't care for menthol, which of course many smokers, I'm not one, uh, say tastes like tobacco. So he'll be making an announcement. The announcement will be made very soon. Um, I think the only thing that's really changed from the First Lady's original tweet on September 9th is that the data are much more harrowing and concerning than we would have suspected. But the demarcation is really kids and adults, and we're very focused on a burgeoning health care crisis among kids. Look, we inherited the drug crisis from the last administration and completely ignored it. Uh, according to the Washington Post, they, the fentanyl failure is laid at their feet. Uh, we're not going to preside over other burgeoning, another burgeoning health crisis like this when we see the data. So if the demarcation is kids and adults, is it fair to assume the demarcation is tobacco and menthol on one side? It's not fair to assume anything, including... It's not fair to assume that. It's not fair to assume that unelected people um, know whether aid is being held up. It's not fair to assume that anybody cares how people vote in the privacy of the ballot box and how that affects their testimony. Uh, no, I think it's not fair to assume we'll let HHS, FDA, and indeed the president make the announcement. It does sound like there's been an initial shift from when Alex Azar spoke, out to, spoke to us out here and what you just uh, laid out as it relates no, to we're just data. we're just data, we're data driven. And remember, FDA has to put out final guidance. And uh, as you know, companies have the, the responsibility and the right to apply to have their project products on market. So they can continue to do that. I mean, I went to, I went to, um, I won't say the name of the drugstore because then I'll show favoritism, but I went to the, <clears throat> uh, I went to a you know, pharmacy this weekend for my family's needs. And I noticed not only are the blades behind lock and key and the Sudafed and the Claritin, but now the body washes. So the idea that you can't get body wash or blades in a, in a local pharmacy as law-abiding citizens without asking somebody to get the key out, and yet we should just have all these products on market that the FDA doesn't look at, that's just not, that's just not logical. Can so let the them announce. Mm. Yeah, very interesting, is it not? What are your thoughts? <laughs> I mean, there's a lot to unpack in that, Brent, I have to say. Um, yeah. I mean, um, I mean, the first thing that strikes me is how much she is across all this. Um, you know, you would expect something like this to be a, quite a peripheral issue in the office of the president, uh, you know, vaping, basically. But obviously, it has gone up their agenda and has hit the political bell, and they are thinking about it and kind of worrying about how best to handle this, which I take as a good sign. Um, it is a politically salient and uh, controversial issue, and they are working out how to deal with it, which is good. Um, she is laden with confusion about this, which uh, suggests, <laughs> you know, I mean, it is simply not true that uh, vape shops uh, are outside the jurisdiction of the uh, FDA and the vaping and e-cigarettes are somehow different. Um, if she thinks that 
vaping is synonymous with THC carts and e-cigarettes or something different, then obviously that is right, but that's not what the common parlance is, and it's certainly not the case that vape shops only sell uh, cannabinoid, uh, you know, vape, vaping uh, carts or whatever. So there's a confusion there. Um, I'm wondering whether they are getting back to something that's more strongly focused on access uh, by by the sound of that. Um, in in which is where which is where I think you should take this. I, I I think if you have a crisis like there's a limit to what regulators and companies can do. Um, you can control the marketing and you control the access to the product, but there isn't some magic thing that stops young people using something that adults use, um, just as they use cannabis, just as they use alcohol, just as they do all the things that adults do. Then you won't get them to stop vaping ever. It just simply won't happen uh, as long as adults can do it. So I'm, I'm wondering from that whether they're considering uh, a pass for age-restricted vape shops, uh, that they would be treated as different, um, and that the, you know, any restriction on um, more widely available vaping products would be um, in unage-restricted environments and would be restricted to, you know, would allow for tobacco and menthol or something like that. I mean, it's very hard. I mean, you know, it's like it's like trying to be a Kremlinologist. You know, you get these utterances, utterances from the high command, and you, you're trying to sort of decipher them and work out what on earth they're talking about in the in the West Wing. Um, I mean, I, I have no idea, but you know, you can decipher lots of meanings from what she said there. But broadly, I would be um, partly encouraged. I would be slightly discouraged that she thinks that the JAMA um, data tell a more horrendous story than they, they knew before. I don't think they do, but most people would see the, the data that's been published in JAMA and think that. Um, but maybe they're looking for a more pragmatic way forward that doesn't tear up the, you know, large numbers of vapors that are in the Trump base um, and, you know, create so much antagonism about, you know, people who would, in many cases, be likely to support him in 2020. So, yeah, let's see. I mean, the other thing is we were promised an announcement uh, a couple of days ago. It was going to be yesterday and then it was going to be today. Um, where is it? So I, I haven't seen anything yet. Um, maybe it's too early to call it, but um, let's see. There could be something in play. Yeah, there, there were there if were being there, handling it politically. Right. There were well, and they're not handling it politically very well. There were a huge number of industry um, people that were in Washington flew in over the weekend for a series right. of meetings that they're supposed to have with OMB. And then, uh, you know, at two in the morning on Tuesday morning, for many of them, they got notices that their meetings were canceled. And yeah. We're all pretty sure that the meetings with, you know, Truth and Tobacco-Free Kids and all the, the lung and heart and associations, that all happened. So mm. one of the reasons why potentially that those meetings were canceled, well, there's two reasons. One, they could give one rat's ass about the industry and they're about to devastate it. And that's why this video today is called Demolished. Um, mm. Or, or um, as political people you would go, Jesus, we're going to need to lighten up on the industry. And mm. it's better that we don't take these meetings with the industry people yeah. and then yeah. lighten up, right? So there is that potential. 
it, it's very again it's very hard to read the uh you know the signals that are coming from this um if they've completed i mean one the most negative theory is they completed the review they gave a big warm hug to the you know the the uh, anti vaping you know health organizations um and they said hang on for a couple of days because we've got um you know we've got some you know very helpful bad news coming out in JAMA. that'll soften up the media uh, everyone will then see what we're we're up to and we'll have the cover for the extreme prohibitionist measures that we that we want to take that so that's one reading of it the other is that they have lost their confidence and their mojo in the way that they've done this. Uh, the campaigning that have been done by some, you know, sort of excellent people in the United States uh, on bringing the politics of this home and bringing the the base into the face of the White House. Um, maybe that is starting to take its toll, and they're thinking, "Hang on a minute, we are trying to lose. We are trying to win an election." Um, why are we pissing off, um, you know, potentially, uh, you know, millions of people in our base? Okay, we may not be able to predict exactly what they're going to do, but we're not building anything that makes us makes them like us or want us. Uh, and we seem to be being run by Mike Bloomberg, you know. And what kind of a state have we got ourselves into as, uh, you know, a Republican presidency if we're doing what Mike Bloomberg and Matt Myers tell us to do? Um, so, so they may have had some doubts here and be drawing back from it and thinking, well, then maybe there's a more pragmatic way we can do this that won't leave sort of tumbleweed blowing down high streets in the Midwest as all these vape shops close. So on that point, let me toss this out and then get your, get your feedback on it. What's, mm -hmm. what's clearly happened here, in my mind, in our analysis at RegWatch, and after four years of covering this, uh, mm -hmm. this industry is that the lung scare, this pretext, and then the complete total lying that was done mm -hmm. um, on it um, was designed and is designed to move to destroy the virtue of vaping. Vaping yeah. had a virtue, and that virtue was it's 95% safer, vaping saves lives, vaping mm -hmm. helped me quit smoking. And yeah. that, that while there were still always problems, you know, with getting that through to the total general public, around mm -hmm. any one particular vapor was an ecosphere, you know, 50, 100 people, something like that, that all, you know, were in touch yeah. with and had experience with that and were open, to, open if not yeah. sold on that. And so what's happened is that they've moved the – they've destroyed the virtue of vaping narrative yep. for the large part. And they've shifted uh, the risk profile of vaping from 95% safer or vaping can save your life over to lethal product in with tobacco. Yep. And that does two things. One, if ever down the road there's a vaping industry left after – the progressives are done with it, it will be with big tobacco. And they're happy to work with big tobacco because they've yep. got big tobacco under their thumb. Second of all, if the PMTA process is to have gone through in six months like it's intended, well, that would be the destruction of 14,000 retailers, 150,000 mm. jobs. Yep. It would be tumbleweed rolling through yep. the streets. So part of the pretext of this death Right is is that it softens the blow. It it, it yep. makes those local communities go well. Yeah, but you were selling deadly products, so we really yep. don't care yep. much about the fact that you had to close. Yeah, I I agree, Brian. I think there's like a pincer movement here. 
Um, you're absolutely right. They've destroyed the virtue. So we were already in a situation where, you know, most Americans didn't really believe that vaping was much, you know, was less harmful and certainly not much less harmful than smoking. Um, and they were wrong before and they're wrong now. But we're now in a position where it's not only, it's not only that it's as bad as smoking, because smoking basically kills you slowly. It, it'll take the median smoker will lose 10 years of life between the age of 73 and 83. And that is very different between, you know, that is very different to being hospitalized at age 25 with some kind of mortal asphyxiation, which just kills you in the prime of youth following, you know, using some sort of contaminated vape product. So it's, it's not only that, that it's as bad, it, there is a dread risk associated with this. And the dread is that acute death, you know, like, you know, out of a clear blue sky, you're healthy one day and you're That is very different to how smoking kills you. So I think they've destroyed the virtue. But on the other side of it, um, on the other side of the ledger, they've also created this idea uh, that this is bringing in, th this is hooking you know, millions of American youth, um, and they are then vulnerable to this pattern of addiction followed by kind of sudden death. So the, the whole narrative, the rise in youth vaping plus the instantaneous death problem, take that together, and you can see why the politics is running out of control towards all kinds of extreme prohibitions at you know municipal state and you know increasingly at federal level um and that now is a uh you know people trying to argue against that you know corresponding with people who've been going to sort of town hall meetings trying to um, make the case and they just feel totally overwhelmed by this that ordinary people with an ordinary and correct truthful experience but when they've got, you know, seven people from the tobacco control world, they've got people from the body parts, um, you know, nonprofits, uh, they've got public health officials from the local state department, you know, boom, you know, they cannot compete with that narrative that has now been uh, established. These are lethal products, they're just as harmful and more harmful than cigarettes, and they're using nicotine to hook kids using flavors and marketing and by the time people have said that it's a it's internally coherent it sounds like a consistent coherent argument it just bears no relation to what's actually happening in reality but it's very hard to argue against it if you're just a sort of an ordinary vapor or even a vape shop owner um, and therefore a lot of people are having a really tough time yeah you make a very good point and and i'd like to actually just shift as we're getting close to wrapping up here. Okay. I'd like to take a little uh, geographic tour. I'd like to shift the conversation for a moment to Canada. And okay. I know that you've had your eye on Canada too as well. What do you see happening there? And is it just the standard case of, you know, the U.S. catches Ebola and, and, <laughs> and Canada picks it up two weeks later? I, I don't know. I hope, I desperately hope that Canadians uh, will will remain sufficiently level-headed um, and kind of sensible and distant from this. I mean, obviously, there'll be some contagion. You know, there's been um, a rise in youth vaping in Canada, and that has triggered all sorts of panics in Health Canada. 
but what I'm hoping, and there are some good people in Health Canada that are uh, objective about this, they're capable of uh, seeing through the bullshit, and I hope that they do, because, you know, real... <laughs> That you take these, you know, people take these measures and they call it precautionary principle, or toilet, you know, getting tough with the the menace of vaping, or whatever. The problem is, the ultimate results of this is that more people smoke, more people access the black market, um, fewer people quit, fewer people switch. You know, th there is a toll of death and disease that arises from this. It is not a costless thing that they're doing. Um, so I hope in, in Canada that they will they will take a hard look at the unintended consequences of excessive regulation and bans, exactly what they haven't done in the United States. I mean, you, you look around for any assessment of what they expect to happen as a result of this flavor ban. I mean, they're like regulatory literalists. They think if you ban something, then it stops you know, and nothing in the whole history of human civilization backs that up. You know, if you if you stop alcohol, you know, if you have an alcohol prohibition, people brew their own uh, or they import it from somewhere or they do something different. If, if you ban vaping flavors, people will add their own flavors. They'll buy it from overseas. They'll go to fast tech. They will, um, you know, people will smuggle it in. They'll make their own uh, there'll be a black market um, of, you know, people will do it. All the legitimate supply chain will dry up. So you'll lose all complete control of that. You'll have an irregular, unregulated supply chain that will be supplying everything. And you haven't seen one word of examination or one piece of analysis from FDA that you know, analyzes what will happen or justifies what will happen. They don't know whether if you take vaping away from teenagers, whether more teenagers will smoke because some of them were vaping instead of smoking. They simply don't know that and they don't even recognize it as a possibility. They have not even the slightest analytical framework for dealing with this, yet they're blundering in with a massive prohibition. Now, it's interesting, though, during the NGO versus FDA case, which was you know lost by FDA and part of the trigger on all of this, um, you know, FDA, Mitch Zeller, uh, in their submissions to the court, were very specifically clear about informing the court what would happen if, uh, if there was a, an immediate and abrupt uh, removal of the products from the market. So, and, and it was drastic. So the, the picture they painted was millions of people who will be stuck without uh, access to nicotine uh, vaping products, and it would be a disaster. And the and FDA did put that in court. And so that's part of the problem with all this. And, and before, I don't want to stay on U.S. completely until I finish with Canada, but let me just make this one point, is that that's clearly what's so problematic here is that FDA out of one side of their mouth is telling the court it will be a complete total other mm. disaster and other filings it, it's a complete disaster with the epidemic of teens the CDC is mm. over here saying you know vaping causes child abuse or whatever crazy crap the CDC does and uh, we've got a lot of coverage coming up on CDC moving forward now that mm. my jail my Facebook jail has been lifted I need to get put back into jail Clive, so let me ask you this. It seems to me that Canada uh, should be a bit different. Now, I would think that 
Canadians should be inclined to trust the federal government the one, in fact, that they just recently re-elected, mm. because it was mm -hmm. indeed the Trudeau Liberal government that mm. decided to make vaping products legal in Canada. And mm. the FDA, and, and sorry, excuse me, Health Canada spent years, years and years, working on the science, reviewing the science, mm. putting the science mm. advisory team together, uh, mm. working with stakeholders, talking to all the parents, all the associations, all the health groups, mm. everything else. They've sat down with RegWatch now three times. I mean, th this has gone through, we are a first mm. world nation. We've gone through a deliberative process, both by our elected officials and our, and our regulatory bodies, and it was made legal. And the risks were looked at. Sure, of course, they said, well, if something happens with the kids, you know, we might have to revisit it. But mm. that's not annihilating the market because it's, you know, because mm. it kills people. So it seems to me that Health Canada is in a bind here and that yeah. Canadians need to be reminding uh, mm. everybody that we should be trusting Health Canada. I trust Health Canada's decision to make yeah. this legal. I trust our federal government and the politicians who made it legal. And don't give them any wiggle room to back out of what yeah. was their science. Uh, I mean, I agree with that. I, I think uh, I think Health Canada should keep their nerve. To be honest, um, they what what they certainly shouldn't do is go down the route that uh, FDA, CDC, and the um, you know the, the non governmental organisations in the states have done, which is to inflate the moral panic. Um, I agree with you. I think um, Health Canada and the Canadian approach was heading in the right direction. There were some really interesting innovations to do with risk communication. Um, they weren't indifferent to the risks, but they weren't, you know, paralyzed by them either. Um, so, I think they should stick to their stick to the the path they were on, not be too distracted, and certainly not build it up into um, a big moral panic like happened in the states. Um, I do understand, though, uh, you know, Health Canada is a part of the civil service. It's populated by officials and officials need to be responsive to the concerns of elected politicians. And if elected politicians are picking up vibes that this is all out of control and there's a crisis going on south of the border, then they need to be sensitive to that. I just hope they'll hold firm and give them good advice and that the prohibitionists that there are in Canada, and there are some Canadian Cancer Society, some of those people are very hostile to the harm reduction approach, but there are also equally some very kind of sensible and rational people. Um, I hope they will just keep their nerve and try to look at how we're doing it in the UK and say that's actually what we want to be like, not like the United States. And I do, I do think it's one thing we haven't discussed, Brent, is the, um, the extent to which the anti-vaping publicity for teen vaping may be a factor in causing it. Mm. I mean, the the amount of publicity generated um, by the anti-vaping campaigns, whether it's FDA, CDC, Campaign for Tobacco-Free Kids, Bloomberg, American Lung Association, Heart Association, uh, you know, the Cancer Action Network, all of them, they have been at this issue with bullhorns amplified to the, you know, a sound as loud as a war. And they are, you know, they are filling the news, filling the airwaves with stuff about vaping. If you're a teenager, what are you hearing? You're just hearing that there's something big out there that 
you may not be part of. So I, what I worry about is, and you, you, there are some things I've, I've got a news clip on on the blog that I did. It's unbelievable. It's like, hey kids, parents, did you know all other cool kids are vaping? In particular, they're vaping jewel. This is how you do it. This is this is where you get them from. This is how you conceal it. Look, here is a trick to hide it in your rucksack. I mean, honestly, it's like a tutorial. It's like actually a primer on taking up vaping. And I am convinced now that the moral panic itself is a driver of the thing that they're panicking about. Oh, absolutely. Because I just think it's – they've created – the people who are notionally against this – have created the most unbelievable amount of publicity. The number of times I've seen that dual advert with um, kind of relatively young, sort of mid-twenties models in it. I've never seen it in an advert by Jewel. I've seen it hundreds of times in campaign literature from Campaign Tobacco Free Kids, The Truth Initiative. There was a big Reuters piece that was out today that was criticizing Jewel. Saw it there. Yeah. It's unbelievable. The only place you get to see attractive dual ads that are youth orientated, and I mean mid-twenties orientated, is in the anti-vaping literature. It's well, like, incredible. It's incredible. And to say that they don't know what they're doing, that they, this is just a byproduct, is I think is misleading because you've, well, got, you've got FDA spending $450 million in, in this next five years on, on anti-tobacco, and they've been spending hundreds of millions of dollars for the last two decades, and then take all the money from all of the other groups. They are the most sophisticated marketers to teens than Coca-Cola or any other brand. They, you know. I, I'm. I don't. I don't believe they are clever or evil enough to be doing that deliberately. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I. I would always. I would always vote for a cock up over a conspiracy. Well, no, so I don't I, say it's I a conspiracy. Uh, more, more, it's like it's like porn to them. They're creating. They're creating visual elements. I, that, that, that are attracted that's to them. Explanation. I think it's a better explanation. I, I, so I think what they're doing is, and everything they've done has failed. So it's been very funny. I mean, it's, it's funny, but sad. You know, they have been throwing stuff at this. They have spent on their real cost campaign. They've spent millions of dollars. They've had all those adverts with, you know, worms under the skin and on the brain and everything. It's like, hang on a minute. All of that has failed because the, you know, the youth vaping has gone up. You know, so so what what evidence have we got that anything you've done has actually worked? You've been banning things, you've been raiding offices, you've been sending letters, you've been forcing companies to put their products off the market or whatever. None of it has worked. Um, yet they haven't ever considered the possibility that they and their publicity is actually a cause and a driver of the very problem that they are trying to stop you know and will they ever conduct an evaluation of that of course they won't no you know so the, the people with the resources to examine that question is the last thing they're ever going to do is say you know it's like that sketch you know are we the bad guys you know the guy in the nazi uniform are we the bad guys uh it's it's like yeah you may well be um and you know in, in a way um maybe the more cynical elements um maybe the more cynical elements are quite happy when vaping goes up amongst kids. You know, it'd be interesting to know whether at Campaign for Tobacco-Free Kids, they were all, oh, 
my God, you know, this is a disaster. More kids are vaping or, oh, more kids are vaping, you know, more power to us. So, you know, I don't think that they are always sad to see things that are bad happening in the vaping world. I, I think what they feel is that it increases their agency, increases their power, um, it improves their potency. It means that doors are open to them on the hill. Uh, it means that they can get the you know first lady engaged, as we saw in that clip. And that's what their business is all about, is being potent and doing stuff. Well, and I could not agree with you more. Um, before we finish up on our last, uh, on our last uh, note here, I would be remiss in not directing our viewers to our support site at support.regulatorwatch.com. And as you all know, we uh, rely heavily on viewer support uh, to help us bring you this content. And our supporters are well thanked because they are so awesome. And of course, Flavor Art is our anchor supporter and has been for four years. Everybody give a shout out to Sean Casey because he is the man. And Stealth has been helping us tremendously in Canada. And they're helping mm -hmm. us again here in November. And uh, thanks to Mark and everybody at Stealth and Sammy at Premium Labs and our monthly rock stars, which we still need to fill. We need to put three more here from some U.S. companies. Most of these are Canadian. Let me shame the U.S. companies. Shame <laughs> you. Shame. But we love you all. So like $100, $250 a month, that kind of thing puts you in here, plus a few extra goodies and stuff like that. So, And that's uh, critical for us. And then one-time heroes, Broadway Vapors. And Chris just came in with a huge, big, nice contribution uh, today, in fact, actually, after our uh, broadcast last night. So highly encourage one-time vapors. And if you are U.S., your dollars go really far here. We love American dollars. We love Americans, too, by the way. Big fans of Americans here at RegWatch. Just we only wish that everybody in the U.S. that is anti-vaping, including your president, just get, take a moment, have a think, and do the right thing. Clive, last word, my friend. Oh, oh, for an outbreak of sanity. I mean, we have here uh, a disruptive technology. It's disrupting the cigarette trade and the t tobacco industry. Um, millions of people have taken to it to protect their own lives, their own health, on their own initiative, at their own expense. Um, if only regulators would get out of the way and stay calm, um, we can deal with the youth issue in other ways through access, control on access and marketing. We have no need whatsoever to kill off this technology for governments, especially, uh, you know, Trump and, uh, you know, his team to become the enemies of innovation and actually destroy something that actually in the end will see off smoking, will obsolete smoking. I'm convinced of it. Over the next couple of decades, why have we got people who are notionally engaged in public health getting in the way and stopping that and, you know, causing more smoking, protecting the cigarette trade and, you know, preventing these developments? It's shocking. It needs to stop. And I agree. And I know all most of our viewers do, too, as well. Clive, I want to thank you very much uh, for joining us today on RegWatch. It has been fantastic. Let's hope for good news. And for the rest of you all, well, that's it for this edition of RegWatch. Uh, please go to support.regulatorwatch.com, dig into your wallet, kick us a few dollars. You'll feel way better for doing that. 
And don't forget to like us on Facebook. And please do follow us on Twitter. For RegulatorWatch.com, I'm Brent Stafford.